0: Thank you, worship team. Kids, up through fifth fifth (laughs) grade, that makes sense in some weird way. Uh, Up through fifth grade, uh, you are dismissed to your classrooms. Uh, For the rest of you, please turn with me in your Bibles uh, to the book of Philippians chapter three. That's where we're going to be starting this morning. We're going to be all over, and the verses will all be on your screen, but I'd love for you to follow along as well uh, in your Bibles in Philippians chapter three, uh, starting in 18. We're continuing our series called Heaven, Hell, and Life After, Life After Death. This is the third week in that series. Um, The first week we talked about um, the fact that the story of the Bible is not a story of God getting us out of this bad world and into heaven. The story of the Bible is ultimately the story of God. Jesus, God, through Christ, renewing and restoring this world uh, and making all things new through Jesus. Uh, And then uh, in our second week in this series, we looked at uh, what the Bible says about what happens right after we die uh, as Christians. Uh, What happens to believers right after they pass away. And we came away kind of with this... uh, a uh, surprising uh, revelation that it doesn't say much. And so we looked at every passage that the Bible that uh, talks about, the Bible talks about uh, when it comes to what happens after you die. We saw that it's better than here. We saw that uh, you're with Jesus somehow. And, uh, and maybe you have a body, maybe you don't. That's what Apostle Paul says when he was taken up into the what he called the third heaven, and um, he says, "I, I think I maybe I had a body, maybe I didn't. I heard some noises, can't tell you what they were, and that was uh, basically all he gave us." And so uh, we learned that really uh, what the Bible wants us to do is trust God with our eternity. And we can trust him with that. And so uh, next week is going to be, uh, we're going to talk about the new creation. What is it going to be like when uh, Jesus renews and restores the earth? And we're going to kind of hopefully answer some of our practical questions about what eternity is actually going to be like. We're going to see what the Bible says about that. And then in our final, the following week, the week after that, uh, we're going to do uh, some Q&A. So you guys have already, I think we have 27 questions that have been submitted. We won't be able to get to all of them, Um, but uh, I've been giving you the opportunity to submit your questions about uh, this topic, and so uh, what you can do, actually, if you want to go on that link, it's on our Facebook page, it's in your email, um, is uh, you can go and actually vote on the questions that you want answered, and the ones that get risen up to the top are the ones that we'll address, and so um, that's going to be our final week. But this morning, uh, we have a sobering topic in front of us. And that is, what is the eternal destiny of those who die apart from Christ? And so this is the hell portion of our sermon series, Heaven, Hell, and Life After, Life After Death. And so I'm going to read our passage here in Philippians chapter 3, and then I'll pray, and we will begin. So look with me, Philippians 3 will be on your screen as well. For I have often told you, Paul says... And now say again with tears that many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their stomach. Their glory is in their shame. And they are focused on earthly things. Our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly wait for a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. He will transform the body of our humble condition into the likeness of his glorious body by the power that enables him to subject everything to himself. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, we ask for your help this morning. Uh, We came in, uh, many of us with many burdens, with many things on our mind, with many things distracting us with many things challenging us, Lord. Uh, we've come in this morning with many uh, things that we've been pursuing apart from you, God. Uh, we confess that to you this morning. We confess our, the idolatry of our hearts, our propensity to want to worship anything but you, God. When you are the God that is worthy of worship. Lord, we thank you for your word. In your word, you have given us um, great wisdom. And in your word, you have shown us um, the, the vast gulf of difference between those, the eternity of those who are following Jesus and the eternity of those who are not. And so this morning, Lord, as we talk about hell, what your word says about it, I just pray with pleading, God, if there's anyone in here who does not know you as their Savior, that that this would not be their eternity. God, that they would seek you, that they would know you. They would know the freedom and joy in following you. God, for those of us who are following you, yet imperfectly, I pray that uh, these things that we talk about would just cause us to love you more. Not out of fear, God, but out of just such a great joy. And what we've been saved from and what we've been saved to. So God, help me this morning. Give me words. May you be glorified in all things. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This sermon has been one of the most uh, difficult sermons I've probably ever had to prepare here. And uh, probably one of the most important as well. Uh, It's probably... uh, it's going to have a different tone than usual around here this morning. My natural, like, people-pleasing self, I, mean, I see some of you are new with us this morning. My natural self wants to be like, new visitors, don't worry, it's not always such a bummer around here, you know, but um, we, we talk about happy things sometimes, you know, but uh, and that's as difficult of a topic as this is, I've just been so convicted this week. Uh, this is something that we cannot and will not apologize for because if what the Bible says is true and billions of people are going to spend their eternity in hell separated from God we cannot be flippant about that fact you see either it's true or it's not and as tempting as it is we cannot like blunt its harshness we can't try to dress it up and we can't uh, apologize for it Hell is obviously one of the most difficult doctrines for us to swallow. Throughout church history, there have been countless people who have tried to downplay, deny, and disregard this doctrine altogether. And to be honest, I wish I could too. Like I wish this series could just be heaven and life after life after death, right? And just skip over this part. But the Bible is clear, (laughs) on this one, right? We've talked about some of the surprising things that the Bible doesn't have much to say about, like we were just talking about, what happens right after we die in Christ. Surprisingly, the Bible doesn't say a lot about that. Um, But the Bible is clear about this. And as much as we might want to ignore it, we can't. And even in the passage we just read, like it's just so clear, there are two kinds of people in this world. There are, you are a citizen of heaven, Or an enemy of the cross of Christ. You're one of those two. A citizen of heaven or an enemy of the cross of Christ. There is no in between. And if you're a citizen of heaven, the glories and joys that await you, that you in no way deserved or earned or purchased for yourself, the riches that will be lavished upon you both now and into eternity as you are adopted into the family of God are unspeakable in their beauty. But if you're an enemy of the cross of Christ, as we saw in our passage, if the God that you choose to worship is your stomach for whatever, food, money, sex, fame, pleasure, leisure, power, approval, whatever. If that is your God, and if your focus is earthly things, Paul says their end is destruction. And that destruction will not be pleasant. It will be a horrifying way to spend eternity. And that's why Paul says that even as he writes these very words, he's doing so through tears. He says, I'm writing to you now, in, through tears. And I had that same experience this week. I said this was a difficult sermon uh, to, to prepare. It's not something you can just approach academically or, or coldly or from a distance because if this is true, um, we need to desperately plead with those around us that this will not be their eternal reality. And so I wrote these words through tears as well. So even though it's easy to ignore it, this is just something we need to talk about. And so this morning, what we're going to do is we're going to look at what God's Word says. We're going to look at four truths about hell, four things that the Bible tells us about the eternal state of those who die apart from Christ. And then we're going to talk about three application points. What I'm hoping that we're going to see is this, that the doctrine of hell isn't like the one bad thing about God. Okay, This is very important. It's not like being friends with the Incredible Hulk, like, uh, oh man, you got to meet my friend Bruce. He's an amazing guy, except for just this one thing that happens sometimes, right? Like that's, that's not the doctrine of, of hell. Um, I think sometimes maybe we're afraid to talk about hell because we subliminally think like deep down that this is a, a bad look for God. Like he re- he's really loving, but hell shows also that he kind of has an anger problem. And that is not it. After studying this topic all week, I I came to this firm belief we can actually worship God in a greater way because of the doctrine of hell than we could otherwise. And if hell didn't exist, we actually wouldn't be able to understand the love of God to the degree that we do. And so that's where we're going this morning. I'm going to talk about four things the Bible tells us about hell. And then three application points. And the first thing that the Bible tells us about hell is simply this, that hell is real. Hell is real. Now, this stands in contrast to the idea of universalism. Universalism is a belief. It's called Christ, Christian universalism. Maybe you've heard that. Uh, that because God is love, there's no way he could allow anyone to go to hell. And therefore, in the end, Jesus is going to save everyone when he comes back and restores creation back to its original perfection, whether they recognize him as Savior or not. So there's the idea of universalism, which is that all roads lead to God in one way or another. But there's also a subset of that. There's an idea of Christian universalism, which is that Jesus is going to save everyone regardless of if they recognized him as Savior or not. And this is an attractive idea, certainly, And a lot of people are drawn to this idea, and for good reason. Um, If hell isn't real, we aren't faced with the terrifying thought of people spending eternity there, right? We could all breathe a sigh of relief. Uh, Then you start to kind of think of some of the implications of that. Like, well, we could stop praying for our unsaved family members. And we could stop sending missionaries to the most difficult places in the world. And we wouldn't have to worry so much about sharing our faith. And honestly, we wouldn't really have to gather as a church. But here's the thing. To deny the reality of hell is to deny everything the Bible tells us, and on top of that, to contradict the very words of Jesus. Here's something I learned this week. I I never knew this, and it's fascinating to me, that Jesus talked about hell more than all the other New Testament authors combined. For example, Matthew 8, he tells us there will be those who will be thrown into the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Matthew 10:28 he says, do not fear those who can kill the body, fear him who is able to cast soul and body into hell. We see it over and over again in the parables, the parable of the wheat and the tares, the tares are bound up and burned. The parable of the wise and the foolish virgins, the foolish virgins are shut out. The parable of the unforgiving servant, the servant is cast out into the outer darkness and on and on and on. We're given these metaphors of people who reject God spending eternity away from him. And I just don't know how you interpret this any other way. Over and over, Jesus, the one who came to rescue us, told us that hell is real. Isn't that fascinating? It's almost like he's trying to tell us something, isn't it? It's almost like he knew that hell is not where we would want to spend eternity. Like we said, the Bible is clear on this. Jesus was the most adamant of all. And so this, I think we all need to hear this, that the one who came to rescue you from hell (laughs) wants you to know that hell is real and we would do well to listen. Here's a second point about hell. Hell is eternal. Hell is eternal. Now this stands in contrast uh, to the concept of annihilationism. I don't know if you've heard that term before. Uh, It's the idea that, yes, some people will go to hell, but it doesn't last for eternity. That eventually those people in hell will cease to exist. God will annihilate them. And this is obviously an attractive position uh, also. Um, John Stott, an incredible preacher, uh, wrote a book on preaching that had a huge impact on my own preaching. Uh, he, he tended toward annihilationism, and he said this about the idea of eternal punishment. He said, emotionally, I find the concept intolerable. The idea that those who uh, die apart from Christ uh, spend eternity in hell. He said, emotionally, I find that concept intolerable. And um, when you really think about it, it is intolerable, almost unbearable, and yet its reality is what drove the Apostle Paul to tears as he wrote about those who walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. And so we must ask, will God really punish those who reject him forever? And the answer that the Bible gives us is yes. Those who reject Christ will suffer eternal punishment in hell. Jesus spoke over and over, not of a place where you go for a little while. He spoke of hell as a fire that burns eternally but doesn't consume. He spoke of fire as an, of hell as an undying worm that eats away at the damned but never perishes and as a lonely and foreboding darkness." Now, to be clear, these are metaphors. I was listening to uh, Tim Keller talk about this this week. He said, he'll, when he talks to unbelievers about hell, um, he said, I'll, I'll tell them, you know, this is, when you talk about fire, these things, like, these are metaphors, it's not really a fire. And they'll be like, oh, shoo, and then he'll say, actually, it's, it's probably worse <laughs> than that. Um, the Bible gives us metaphors when our language um, doesn't do it justice. And so, um, no, it's not like this literal fiery place like you see in cartoons or whatever, but um, it's a very clear this is a place um, where eternal punishment takes place, um, and you don't want to be there. And so just because Jesus uses metaphors doesn't mean it's going to be better than that. It's anything that's going to be worse. And it's not just the Gospels. Revelation 14, 9 to 12 should be on your screen. It says this, and another... A third angel followed them and spoke with a loud voice. If anyone worships the beast and its image and receives a mark on his forehead or on his hand, he will also drink the wine of God's wrath, which is poured full strength into the cup of his anger. He will be tormented with fire and sulfur in the sight of the holy angels and in the sight of the lamb. And the smoke of their torment will go up forever and ever There is no rest, day or night, for those who worship the beast and its image, or anyone who receives the mark of its name. This calls for endurance from the saints who keep God's commands in their faith in Jesus. It's a scary passage. One thing I want to be clear on, there's been kind of a popular idea going around in the last several years that, like, it's talking about the mark of the beast. Maybe you've heard that before, And this idea that the mark of the beast can be something that you accidentally get um, towards towards the end of days. Um, And um, biblically, we would just say that's not something, as Christians, you don't have to fear the mark of the beast. Uh, The mark of the beast is... um, Is something that marks those who are not following Jesus. So by definition, if you're a follower of Jesus, you don't have to be afraid of that. But what this passage is very clear on is that uh, this will be an eternal suffering. And it's so interesting, it says it will be in the sight of the Lamb, right? What do you think that means? I think what that's saying is that those who rejected Jesus on earth, who did not see him as worthy of their worship, are going to be shown Every day for eternity, how wrong they were to not worship the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And uh, it's a scary thing. The Bible is clear, and that hell is real and hell is eternal. Third, hell shows us the justice of God, the justice of God. Second Thessalonians 1:6 through 9 says this. Since it is just for God to repay with affliction those who afflict you, when he takes vengeance with flaming fire on those who don't know God and on those who don't obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus, they will pay the penalty of eternal destruction from the Lord's presence and from his glorious strength. It is what for God to repay with affliction those who afflict you? It is just. It's the same word for righteous. It's right. God is not overreacting. God does not have an anger problem. Hell isn't God making a big deal out of nothing. When God takes his vengeance on those who don't know him, he is perfectly just to do so. And this stands in contrast to the idea that God isn't right to send people to hell. That it's not fair that uh, people should have to spend eternity in hell. There's a book uh, that came out a while ago called Love Wins by R- a guy named Rob Bell. And there's, here's a quote from it. It's on your screen. It's, said, Telling a story about a God who inflicts unrelenting punishment on people because they didn't do or say or believe the correct, correct things in a brief window of time called life isn't a very good story. That's what he said, his argument that, um, that uh, hell is unjust. And... This is very reflective, I think, of ve- many people's view on hell, right? It seems kind of arbitrary for God to make a bunch of people burn, metaphorically speaking, because they didn't say the right password at the pearly, gri- pearly gates. And uh, I just want to be perfectly frank with you, and I, I think this is, um, like, we have to wrestle with this. And in my weak moments, in my moments of doubt, I struggle with this. Even this week, I wrestled with this. Like, Isn't it just kind of unloving for God to send people to hell just because they don't believe in Jesus? And I imagine that everyone who's thought deeply and seriously about their faith has wrestled with this at one time or another. Either that or you probably haven't really thought deeply about the doctrine of hell how is this right? How is this fair? And I just want to say a few things about that. And that's first is that it's okay to wrestle with these questions. A God that cannot stand up to these kinds of questions is not a very big God, is he? And so if God is real, and if God is smarter than you, two things that I firmly believe to be the case uh, he can stand up to any of your questions. Now, sometimes his answer comes back as, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth, right? We don't always get an answer that seems satisfactory to us, other than just resting in the fact that he knows more than we do. But I'm saying it, it is okay to ask difficult questions questions. And as Christians, we cannot be afraid to ask difficult questions, and we cannot be afraid to allow others to ask difficult questions. Uh, I, uh, I went to Taylor University, and our former president, Jay Kessler, used to say, nothing's going to jump out from behind a rock and eat God, right? Like, ooh, don't, don't look back there because God's going to, you know, just get devoured by that thing. Don't ask that question. Like, we, ha- we serve a big God, and he can stand up to these questions. So we can ask these questions. But I think with this question in particular, there are two reasons why it's so difficult for us to to swallow this. And that's first because we're not as holy as God. Not even close. We cannot even fathom His holiness, what it means. Our faces would melt off if we beheld His holiness in its fullness. And us creatures who are addicted to sinning just simply cannot fathom the holiness of God. So that's the first reason we struggle with this. And then the second reason we struggle with this idea of hell is because we fail to take sin as seriously as God does. Look at that Rob Bell quote again. Look look up there with me. Why is God punishing people in his eyes? Look at what he says. Because they didn't do or say or believe the correct things in a brief window of time. And what this is doing is he's reducing the total rebellion of the human race against its creator to they just didn't do or say or believe the right things in a small window of time. And here we go, like lest we just jump down his throat and say, how dare you say something like that. We all do this. whether we write best-selling books kind of broadcasting our ignorance on it or not, we all want to downplay our sin. We all want to minimize our sin. And if we think of ourselves as naturally deserving heaven, but then God gets mad and sends us to hell because we just didn't do or say or believe the right things in a small window of time, then yes, God is unjust to make people spend eternity there. But that's not the right story. I would argue that is not a very good story. Where this story is wrong is that the gospel is the greatest story in the universe because every single one of us was living in open rebellion against God. And rather than fixing the problem by ridding the earth of sinful humanity, which God would be perfectly just to do, God sent His Son to rescue us and follow Him into the new creation. And so to truly comprehend the doctrine of hell is to say, I am the one who deserves to stand and take the full wrath of God in flaming fire. I am the one who deserves to be banished to the outer darkness. And my only hope The only thing standing between myself and eternity and an eternity of suffering in separation from God is the fact that Jesus Christ died for me. And if you really comprehend that, it messes you up, church. If I'm really thinking about the implications of that, it's hard for me to care too much if the Colts beat the Titans in a few hours that my Braves got smoked by the Phillies last night. God saved me from hell. I deserved it. It was just for me to go there. It was right. And instead, Jesus took my place. And so to downplay the necessity of hell, as hard as it is to, for us to swallow sometimes, it's to downplay the severity of our sin and the justice of God, who because of his holiness cannot let sin go unpunished. Finally, hell shows us the love of God in Christ Jesus. The love of God in Christ Jesus. This is very intentional wording here. I think sometimes when we think about the gospel, we think about an angry God whose deepest desire is to send us to hell, but Jesus stood in his way, and it's like a, there's an old reference, it's getting older and older, like Scooby-Doo villain, like God saying, I would have gotten away with sending him to hell if it wasn't for that darn Jesus dying and paying the penalty, right? Jesus did the will of the Father. It was God's will to send his son. Parents, how often have you seen, uh, how many of you have a child suffering? And what's the one thing you would say if I could take their place? (laughs) I don't want to see my son, my daughter suffering. And yet it was God's will to send his son to suffer the penalty, to appease his wrath so that we could be saved. When Jesus was on the cross, he cried out with a loud voice, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Easter time comes around each year, and what do we emphasize? We emphasize how painful physically the suffering on the cross would have been, the nails through his hands and feet, the crown of thorns on his head, the beating that almost killed Jesus, the mocking the scorn, and all of that is horrific. But the physical suffering is not what made Jesus sweat blood in the Garden of Gethsemane. It was this, Jesus was about to endure hell. And when he cried out on the cross, he's experiencing that separation from the Father that we all deserve. This is what Tim Keller says about this. He says, unless we come to grips with this, quote, terrible doctrine... We will never even begin to understand the depths of what Jesus did for us on the cross. His body was being destroyed in the worst possible way, but that was a flea bite compared to what was happening to his soul. When he cried out that his God had forsaken him, he was experiencing hell itself. And if we remove the doctrine of hell, we're left with no answer to this question. Why did Jesus die on the cross? It wasn't necessary. But hell shows us just how much God loves us, that he would send his son and that his son would willingly give up his life to stand in our place and endure his wrath for all our sins. Praise God. Praise God. As we close, I want us to think of three application points here. What does this mean? What, what do we do with this? Well, I think first we need to let the reality of hell remind us of the seriousness of sin. Romans 8.13 says, For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. And John Owen said it this way, Be killing sin or sin will be killing you. We are far too comfortable with sin. We are far too flippant about it. God delivers us from the bondage in Egypt, and two seconds later, he walks in on us bowing down to a golden calf, and we look up and say, What's a big deal, God? Who cares? Oh, church, it's a big deal. It's a big deal. Our idolatry is an affront before a living God. And if you are here this morning and you are not following Jesus, I'm going to tell you the most loving thing I can tell you. Because of your sin, if you died today, you would spend eternity in hell. Not trying to scare you into something, not trying to make you make a decision out of fear, but I am telling you what the Bible says is true. If you died today, you would spend an eternity in hell. But the good news is this, that Jesus died so that you could instead be adopted into his family and spend eternity living on a renewed earth in the presence of God, being given everything in Christ Jesus. Praise the Lord. So if you aren't following Jesus, make today the day of your salvation. After the service, I'll be up here. Pastor Jerry will be up here as well. And uh, one of us would love to pray with you and, uh, and, and make the day the day of your salvation. And if you are in Christ, most of us in here this morning are in Christ. Praise God for that. Praise God for what he's done. Let's, let the doctrine of hell remind us that those who died to sin cannot continue living in it. We cannot be clinging to our idols and then look up at God and say, oh, what's the big deal? Sin's a big deal. So we don't need to live, we can't think that we need, can live the rest of our lives happily holding on to our idols in the presence of a holy God. Second, let's let the reality of hell give urgency to our evangelism. I don't know about you, I've been really turned off in my life by like the fire and brimstone type preachers who wear the cheap suit and they always have the handkerchief and they're going like this and they're warning you about, you know, you don't want to turn or burn, right? And, and, um, and, and, um, let the preacher who doesn't have a major sweating problem cast the first stone, first of all. <laughs> I do probably need a handkerchief up here most of the time. But I fear that that character, caricature has driven maybe me and maybe us too far in the opposite direction. Our motivation to follow Jesus needs to be love, not fear. And yet, the reality is that those who don't follow Jesus will spend eternity in hell. And that truth should motivate us. To share the gospel. So, first, like we need to pray like we believe this. Oh, I don't think we do that very well. We need to pray like this is real. Pray fervently for the hearts of your loved ones, your family members, your friends, your co workers, your neighbors, your classmates, whoever that doesn't know the Lord. We should have a list. Like, I just pra- like I don't, I'm gonna be honest. I don't have a list of people that I'm praying for that don't know the Lord, a f- like a physical list. I pray for people sometimes. I need a list. I need somebody to remind me who I'm praying for. And then I need the Lord to give me opportunity, pray that he would give me opportunities to open my mouth and that he would open their hearts. So I just think, practically speaking, like, we need to be doing that and praying for people regularly. Salvation is ultimately a God issue. You cannot do a darn thing to change someone's heart, but you can be a vessel that God uses to call someone to salvation. So we need to let the reality of hell remind us of the urgency of evangelism. To make Christ known from our neighbors to the nations. Reminding us of the millions of people who are going to live and die without ever having the opportunity to hear the gospel because nobody that they know, nobody even speaks their language, knows the gospel. Drive us to the nations, drive us to the neighbors, but ultimately drive us to our knees, amen? Finally, let the reality of hell draw you closer to Jesus and remind you how much Jesus loves you. I mean, if I'm walking and I'm about to fall into a mud puddle and you like grab me and pull me out, uh, I'm going to be thankful. If I'm like walking and I'm about to fall into the Grand Canyon and I'm one step in and you uh, grab me and pull me out, I'm going to think about you for every day for the rest of my life. When you're lukewarm in your faith, what's going on? It's that deep down you don't really think there was actually a chance you were going to hell. When you're on fire for the Lord, what's going on. It's that deep down you know there's no reason but the grace of God that you aren't spending eternity separated from your Savior, Savior, that if Jesus had not reached in and pulled you out, you would not be saved. So the reality of hell should certainly help you understand the seriousness of your sin. It should definitely motivate you to share the gospel with others. But ultimately, more than anything, it must drive you deeper into a relationship with the one who loved you so much that he died to rescue you. Amen? How deep the Father's love for us. How vast beyond all measure that he would give his only son To make a wretch his treasure. Why should I gain from his reward? I cannot give an answer. But this I know with all my heart. His wounds have paid my ransom. Oh God, we praise you. We thank you. Each one of us deserves to spend eternity apart from you. And yet in Christ... We have been saved. Lord, we don't talk about this reality very often. And yet it's true. And we cannot deny it. We cannot deny what your word says. You are the God who is just. You will make all things right in the end. And no sin will go unpunished. So we praise you for Jesus. Lord, I I just pray again, if there's somebody who's not following you, who's listening to this right now, that just work in their heart, God. It would be so easy to just walk away from this morning and not think about it anymore. I pray that you wouldn't let that happen, God. For all of us, Lord, who are following you, drive us to our knees. Drive us to a greater love for you. Help us to see how good the gospel really is. Praise you. How deep your love for us indeed. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen.